0: Right, guys, welcome back as we continue our study on the book of Numbers. You know, guys, when we when we look at the book of Numbers, here we are, we're jumping into number 17 and 18. It's a really special story. In fact, the story we're going to talk about today actually has everything to do with what Mindy has painted right here about a rod. So I'm excited to talk about this. Anytime there's something in that painting, obviously, we want to highlight it really more than maybe more other chapters. But before we do, I think it's a really cool just a summary. You guys have anything that stands out to you just about the book of Numbers? I just,
1: I keep seeing the Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses over and over again. So just how he communicated with Moses.
0: Yeah, I, I, there's a lot of different stories we can learn from, the Israelites or the leadership. And what I love about what we just talked about yesterday was, you know, here we had Korah's rebellion. One of the worst rebellion uh, moments in, in scripture. They're like, we don't really trust Moses. We don't really trust Aaron. And so then what does God do? He swallows them up and then he brings fire down on the 250 and so what you're going to see in number 17 is, again, it's, it's just like God just says, you need more proof that I'm with these guys. I'm going to give you more proof. And so over and over, they're, they're complaining, they're whining. Who is the leadership? Why are they in leadership? And God says, fine, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to show you that this is my men. These are the guys that I have called to lead this whole group, yes, into the wilderness of death, because that's really what's going to happen. But as this happens, I want to make sure you understand who's in charge. And so in verse 1, Kevin, here's what you have again. Just like you're saying, the Lord instructed Moses. There's this dialogue. You know, you wonder sometimes if you had your own chapter in the Bible, if it would be like, and God told Rich, and Rich responded. Or would it be like, and Kyle, Kyle heard from the Lord, but then didn't do anything. Like you wonder how that dialogue would always be interacting, you know?
2: My, my book would be, re- it'd, be uh, it'd be like Jude. It'd just be one chapter. Like, not a whole lot. <laughs> All right, so the Lord instructs Moses. Okay, what we're going to see
0: here in all of this is that there is a test coming. Okay, I love this. Most commentators would say that first eight verses, here's a test. Scripture says this Speak to the Israelites, Moses, verse 2, and take one staff from each, from them, okay, take one staff from them for each ancestral house. Twelve staffs from all the leaders of their ancestral houses. And I want you to write each man's name on his staff. Now, my question is is if you're going to grab 12 staffs, whose names are we writing on this? You guys have any thoughts?
1: 12 tribes of 12 sons of Jacob,
0: Jacob, yeah. Uh That went well, Kevin. (laughs) Let's just, just for fun, let's just see. Go to Numbers 1, verse 5. Okay, let's go to the very beginning. Remember, okay, we talked about in Numbers, okay, Numbers 1, verse 5. These are the army guys that we're saying, is it Ilizar or is it Reuben?
1: I think it'd be Reuben because it's his ancestor.
0: So you would say it's naturally just the tribes. Okay, let's keep going then. So let's say it's Reuben. Keep going into verse 6. So then all of a sudden into verse 6. Then you have Simeon. Keep going. You have Judah. Then you have Issachar. Keep going. Then you have Zebulon. Then you have Joseph. Then you have... Now what do you do? Is it Manasseh and Ephraim? And so it's just this one... Which twelve tribes? And Taylor, I know this is some of your issues of the of the scouting. Is which twelve tribes are we throwing in Joseph and Levi? Here's where I think interesting enough. I think you throw in the Levites. The Levites. Why? Uh, why? Why do you think I would say that?
1: Because Aaron. We keep reading. Aaron's Levi.
0: Aaron's name is written on one of those staffs, and it doesn't say thirteen. It says twelve. So if you go to the original list that has Levi and Joseph, then you throw in the twelve, then it makes sense. Not Ephraim and Manasseh. Everybody with me on the same page? Okay, so watch this. Just keep going back. He says, I want you to grab each, write each man's name on his staff. So you've got twelve staff together. And in verse 3, I want you to write Aaron's name on Levi's staff. Because there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral house. What does that mean, you guys? There must be one staff. For the head of each, so 12. I mean, that's just saying this one staff represents all of the house, all of the tribe. Okay? That's, again, pretty self-explanatory. Now watch in verse 4. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the 12 staffs. Then I want you to place these 12 staffs in the tent of the meeting, in front of the testimony where I meet with you. All right, Kevin, you're the great tabernacle genius here. Where are we putting the 12 staffs?
1: In front of the ark, basically.
0: In front of the ark, in front of the testimony, right? So we are in the where? Where?
1: Holy of Holies.
0: Holy of Holies. So here's the funny part about all this. Who's the only one that sees in the Holy of Holies?
1: That'd be Aaron. Aaron.
0: (laughs) So Aaron, I want you to put your staff right back in where you're going to see it. Just an interesting observation. So put this where I'm going to meet you. Okay, now watch. It says, Scripture says in verse 5, The staff of the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of the Israelites' complaints that they have been making about you. Okay, keep going into verse 6. So Moses spoke to the Israelites, and each of their leaders gave him a staff. One for each of the leaders of their central houses. Twelve staffs in all. Aaron's staff was among them on the Levite staff. Okay, this sounds pretty obvious. Now remember Aaron. Let's just pull back just for a second on who Aaron is. He's only done a couple dumb things, but overall he's done a pretty good job. You know, Exodus 32, we know the golden calf, his brother's up on the mountain, but we don't really know how many days Moses is going to be there anyway, Right? It's not like he says, hey, I'm going to see you later. I'm going to be up there for 40 days. So Aaron gets a little impatience. The people come at him, and he makes a golden calf made of all of the earrings that came from the plunder from Egypt. That was a pretty not very good move. Later on, we're going to find out about the whole rock and how Moses and Aaron, they decide to hit the rock. Aaron doesn't say anything, so then Aaron gets in trouble, doesn't be able to go into the land. But overall, he's got a wife, Elishaba, okay? He's got four sons. We do know that two of his sons, eh, Nadab and Abihu, the whole fire, incense, they didn't work out so well. But we know that Eliezer and Ithamar, and we know that what God is starting to do in all of this, even despite his wrongdoings, even despite he hasn't done well, God is going to show all of the Israelites, this man here is my chosen vessel. Out of all of the 12, he doesn't talk about Moses, he talks about, he talks about Aaron. Uh, Keeley and Delich, Okay, one of the commentators, they say, a rod was a sign of position as a ruler in house and congregation. So this rod that you're carrying, okay, think about this. Remember Esther, the story of Esther? It says unless the king lowers the the golden scepter, right, then, then she can't come forward. So this rod is this, this staff is a symbol of like power and authority. And God's saying, I'm going to reveal to you that this is my guy. And so watch on and say, keep going, if you would, in verse 7. This is kind of fun. Moses placed the staffs just like he was instructed before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. In verse 8, here is the result. So the test, right, was let's gather all of the staffs together. Everybody had to be willing to do this. It's kind of like the whole fire pan deal. Hey, let's see who a fire pan works. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about a rod. We're talking about a rod. And the next day in verse 8, this is where the results come in. Next day, Moses entered the, tes- the tent of the testimony. And he saw that Aaron's staff representing the house of Levi had sprouted, formed buds, blossomed, and produced almonds. One of the things I want to do, I just, I just felt like I had written on my notes here. I want, to, I want you to understand something, this process, okay? I'm going to write something that most people don't write when they develop this process as commentators. I want to make sure everybody understands that wood that we're using, it's dead. Is that a fair statement? That rod that he has, there's not an ounce of it that's connected to a root. There's nothing alive on this thing. So the process, you got to understand, is it goes from dead, okay, to <laughs> sprouted. And then from sprouted, it goes to formed buds. Kevin, what's the difference between sprouted and formed buds?
1: Uh, just be a plant that, you know, have leaves But buds would be like the flowers start to open, so it's germinating.
0: Okay, so then, good. Now walk me through the next step. If it formed buds and now it blossomed, then what?
1: So it's able to make fruit. At that, It's in the process of making fruit.
0: So what is this right here? We see it's already made fruit, and then you see almonds as well. Is that right? So it's blossomed, and I think this is a cool picture. It produced almonds. Do you guys like almonds?
2: No. Chocolate-covered.
0: Chocolate-covered almonds. Now, here's what I love about the story. This is in front of the tent of the meeting. Moses enters in, and it says he sees the Aaron's staff. Now, when I say he sees it, he, he didn't do anything. It's not like he prayed. It's not like there's any miraculous. He touched anything. This is the process. It went from dead, sprouted, all the way. And I, can I just say this? It's alive. Is that a fair statement, that this, this staff is alive? Overnight. Overnight. I love this. Now, I want to read some comments from Gordon Wenham. Uh, he's written in his commentary, uh, Numbers. He says, Almonds always bloom early with white blossoms, and its fruits were highly priced. So, if you can go to Genesis 43, verse 11. And this is kind of a, a cool picture. It says, Then his father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your packs, take them to the man, man as a gift. So, who's doing what? Do you guys remember? They're taking this to Joseph, right? And I want you to put the best of the best, but balsam and honey, aromatic, aromatic, attic, something, attic, gum and resin, pistachios and almonds. So like this would be a prized possession if like all of a sudden somebody's staff turned into almonds. You'd be like, sweet, new product to sell. Almond staff, staff almond, right? You know, like, and so it's a cool picture. Now watch this. White though also, and I love Mindy's painting over here because there's a mixture of pink and white. White also symbolizes... Purity, holiness, and God himself. So here you have almonds actually producing fruit. And Kevin, if you would, would you go to Isaiah 1, verse 18? Isaiah, verse 1, uh, 18. Come, let us discuss this. Here's this picture of this white and this purity. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. And so God, what God's going to show you is he's going to show purity, purification, and fruit at the same time. Uh, To me, I think they they have to go hand in hand. You have to see purity in order to see fruit. Just one more illustration of this white and this purification. Can you go to Daniel, Daniel 7, verse 9? Here we are talking about the miraculous of Aaron's rod actually taking off. Now watch in regards to the white component. It says, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took a seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head... Like whitest wool, white always represents the presence of God. White always represents purity. And let's just go to one more to paint this picture of white. Go to Revelation twenty verse eleven, and love this image to me because what what we once thought was dead, God can bring to life. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. And so I also represent. I see uh, what we're seeing here is is power. You see purity. You see purification. You see power. And man, I have to tell you guys, you just see the presence of God all in a staff. He chose one out of the 12. And Gordon Wenham continues about not just about the white and the purification, but he also says that Jeremiah, the prophet, actually associates almonds with watching. If you would, Kevin, can you go to Jeremiah 1, verse 11? There is this spirit of watching. We'll get into this a little bit more into detail. But then the word of the Lord came to me asking, what do you see, Jeremiah? Jeremiah. And so prophetically, he says, I see a branch of an almond tree. Go to verse 12, if you would. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I watch over my word to accomplish it. Now, when you see this prophetic word from Jeremiah, when you see this word and then you see all of a sudden almonds, I love this image of God saying, hey, by the way, I'm watching what's taking place. I'm with the Israelites. And oh, by the way, this guy, he's my guy. I'm going to accomplish what I want to accomplish through him. Yeah, it's great that there's 12 tribes, but I'm chosen, I have chosen, I've chosen Aaron. These are the qualities that were portrayed. Obviously, Aaron, one of his main roles also is to serve as a a prophet of some sort, as a watchman over the Israelites. So it says in verse 9, I'm going to go back to number 16, after this process has unfolded, then Moses brought the miraculous. He brought the staffs out from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites and they saw them and Each man, hey, I'll take my staff. I'll take my staff back. I'll take my staff. Each man took his own staff. And then it just says this in verse 10. The Lord told Moses, put Aaron's staff back in front of the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels so that you may put an end to their complaints before me or else they will die. So you know what God's answer was to the complaining box, the suggestion box? It was a rod that produced almonds. This, he says, will end their complaints. Otherwise, if it doesn't, they will die. This, this was a miraculous sign that he's going to now put in front of the tent of the testimony. It's kind of fun to think about that this is a sign. Kevin.
1: It's just interesting that God has Moses put it back with the testimony along with the manna. It's just, it's God's provision, yeah. direction.
0: We, in front of, so you have the Ark of the Covenant, so you have the tablets, you have the manna, and now you have the almond rod. Those three things, you're right, Kevin, are placed inside the Holy of Holies. And I think to me, the one weird part about all of this, this is a sign for the rebels, but the rebels are never able to go in. So how does this serve, in my, in your mind, anybody have any thoughts? How does this serve as a sign?
2: I mean, if he's telling them that this is a sign for you, that they're going to, if they don't adhere, if, they, if, if their grumbling doesn't stop, basically they're going to die. So like, that's the only thing you have to go on is, is like the Lord's word that like, Oh, if I don't shut up, I'm just going to die.
0: And I also think, too, people talk in communities. You know, it's not like you have a whole lot to do in the wilderness. And so you just say, hey, if you want to experience the presence of God, I want to make sure you understand God values these items. He values the Ten Commandments. He values the manna that He's provided. And, oh, by the way, He values, here's what I want to say, the lineage of the priesthood of Aaron. I think it's not just the, the rod. I actually think He's saying, if I can make a dead a stick come to life I can carry the lineage of a priesthood through Aaron and I think he's saying this is my anointing this is my called and I want to make sure everybody understands only these guys can come in I, just, I like this image I like this picture in fact uh, just a quick quick picture when I did the uh, in college when I did the coffee shop when I had the Damascus Road experience it was within that week that somebody had actually brought to me a, a rod a staff Now, most people would probably put this in an important place. (laughs) Mine's in my garage. Well, at least you still have it. That's good. That's good. I thought you were going to say you lost it. (laughs) No, I still have it. It serves as a sign that God spoke life into me personally at that time. And I understand my calling, and I I hold on to that at times. Because I think even Aaron needed it probably, to be honest. So I think he put it in there so that Aaron would constantly see or Eliezer would constantly see, or keep on going down the lineage, hey guys, we've been the family chosen to do this work. And everybody needs a little bit of encouragement. Everybody needs, you know, Kevin, you had talked about the little thing that you had, you have with your, you and your son, or Tom, you had talked about, you know, your coin that you have, or Taylor, your multiple tattoos that you have, you know, that, that show, that, that, that point you to the Lord, or Rich, what was yours? she has sticky notes. Yellow sticky notes. Mine is be strong and courageous. Like, we we all need reminders actually that we've been called. And I think that's what happened with Aaron. I think as everybody keeps complaining, as they keep doing the work of the Lord, you know how many people want to quit the ministry? You know how people get tired and tired of like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to have to deal with finances. I don't have to deal with cities. I don't have to deal with pastors. I don't want to deal with you fill in the blank. And then you know what we do? We come up with excuses of reasons. And they actually might be legit reasons of why we don't want to continue doing this. Maybe with revived School, you're like, you know, I've been going for a good 83 days. I'm done next week. Come on. God has gotten you to this point. Surely he's going to keep you going. And you just need gentle reminders that say, keep on going. So I know this says it's a sign for the rebels, but if it's for me, if I'm Aaron, I'd say, man, this is a great reminder that God showed up in my life that God chose me out of the 12. Scripture continues on in verse 11. It just says this, So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, which means he he put it back. And I love what Dr. Tom Constable just says. He, all he's doing is reiterating what, what he's saying. He says, If God can make a dead rod into life, he can use a line of descendants to serve as priests. God can do anything he wants. And so now ready for this? It says, Anyone who comes near... Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm in verse 12, okay? So here's what we have. We have the tests. We have the results. We have the instructions. The instructions are to put that rod back. And then as one commentator, uh, Warren Wearsby says, you know, watch how the Israelites overreact again. <laughs> Is anybody just tired of talking about the Israelites and like how they just keep doing this? Watch. Says, the Israelites declared to Moses, look, we're perishing. We're lost. We're all lost. And anybody who comes near the Lord's tabernacle will die, we will all perish. This is the most random comments. Do you guys have any thoughts on this, of why they say these things? I think
1: maybe they're looking at, well, they put it back in there in the, we can't go see it. Uh, So how are we supposed to remember if we do go look to see it, then we're going to die. Any other thoughts?
2: I just think again, though, it just goes to show their character that they don't trust the Lord. They keep observing things with their eyes, you know, and not focusing on on God's instructions and on God's Word. Even though God all along has given them visuals of His miracles, that His presence is with them and that His favor rests on them, they they still, for some reason, are blinded to that.
0: Okay, let me build off of that for a second. Okay, this rod that Aaron has there's a good chance he didn't lose it. In other words, he's had it all of his life, right? You know what I mean? Like he's used this over the course of ministry. Like, you know, I use the same Bible. You guys might use your same Bible. Something along the lines of this, right? Kevin, if you would go to Exodus 7, verse 8, okay? Now remember, Moses is the first one who complains. Hey, I don't have a voice. I can't talk. Oh, fine, I'll, get, I'll give it to your brother. So then look what Aaron does. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in verse 9, When Pharaoh tells you perform a miracle, you're to tell Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh. It will become... A serpent. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and he did just as the Lord had commanded. Aaron threw down his staff, not Moses's, his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. And so this rod that down the road in numbers turns into an almond producing stick. It's awesome. No overhead, man. It's so awesome. All of a sudden, remember at the very beginning was the miraculous stick that God used to turn into a serpent. Now watch, we're not done here. In Exodus 7 verse 19, watch what Aaron does with his rod earlier on. The Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt and over the rivers and canals, ponds and all their water reservoirs, and they will become blood. There will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers." So, the staff and his hand leads to a miracle. So the same almond-producing stick was the same stick that turned into a serpent. It's the same stick that caused blood to turn uh, the water into blood. One more, if you would. I, I think this one will work. Go to ex- uh, Exodus 8, verse 15. I might have gone too far, but we'll try it here. Exodus 8, verse 15. Uh, go to verse 16, if you would. Yeah, okay. So go back to verse 15. Let's start this. Uh, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Hey, will you tell your brother Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth? So when Aaron takes his staff and he hits the dust, what happens? Gnats. Gnats begin to go all over the land of Egypt. If there's one rod in all of the Old Testament that has seen more miracles, it's Aaron's. So here's my whole theory, Rich. Just a thought on what you were saying about this holiness component, right? And about what they're sensing could could it could it be could it be that once they saw this rod and heard about this rod turning into almonds they almost went to the extreme and recognized that Kevin if you'll go back now to number 6 uh number 17 okay just just hear me this could be a thought that they recognized their wretchedness and their sinfulness in their lives
2: i mean like finally they've realized oh like they understand now god's authority and and just like I don't know. Like, is all powerfulness? Yeah, maybe. maybe. It's, it's just a thought.
0: But like, they've seen everything, and all of a sudden they're saying, "Look, we're perishing. We're lost. We're lost." And then watch anybody who comes near the tabernacle is going to die because it's so holy, and we're so, we're so not. Either way, I think it's an overreaction of either course. But I do think I just, for once, I want to try to give them the benefit of the doubt. I want to try, and I, I don't know if that's right. But I do know this, Warren Wearsby says, look, over the course of time, God speaks into the Israelites. He tells them to put tassels on their garments, right? He tells them to take the, bla- the brass plates on the altar, remember, from all the fire pans. And then the third component, he says, hey, here's how I want you to obey the law. I want you to understand that Aaron's rod is in the Holy of Holies. So he gives them miracle after miracle after miracle. And then he even says he's real practical. I want you to make tassels. But what do you what do you do, you guys, now that we're not in the Old Testament? What do we do with the mentality of, okay, we don't have tassels. I'm not wearing tassels. I'm wearing a jacket today. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much. But we don't have tassels. We don't have fire pans. What does the Lord do to give us um, a parallel so that we're obedient with Him?
1: I mean, we have the written word.
0: Good. So let's go there. Okay. So as one commentator says, Kevin McElravey himself. Is that God has, Kevin, Kevin, you go to John 17, 17. God has given us the word. No, no we don't have the rod. We don't have a, a, a stick, <laughs> but we have the truth. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So we have truth. Okay, let's go to the next obvious statement. Is there any obvious thing? What else do we have that the Lord's given us? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Oh, wow, Taylor. Look at Taylor go. So, uh, sorry, I'm leaking here. The Holy Spirit.
2: I can see how you can compare that to putting the stick back in the tabernacle deal. Because you can't see it, and you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you mm. basically just got to assume it's in there.
0: You know, that's an awesome picture. Wow. Whoa. Wow, that was very... Revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. That was very dead to life-giving right there. <laughs> uh, absolutely, Taylor. In fact, Kevin, can you go to 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20? I mean, we have the Word. We've been told about it. But now there's the Holy Spirit where we can't see. And scripture says, don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Verse 20, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Go back to verse 19. So there's that same comparison, Taylor. And I actually really love that picture of that stick that now brings life is now in a place. It's in the tabernacle. We can't see, but yet we have to trust the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have to trust that that stick that produces fruit is, yes, inside of the holy of holies. Okay, I want to go somewhere else, a little bit different. Okay, but I like what Wearsby says here, and I think it's pretty powerful. We also have the Lord's supper, we have the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit. Did I spell supper right?
2: Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, like, where's he going with the Lord's supper? Like, are there almonds at the Lord's supper?
0: <laughs> it's the cup and almonds. No, First Corinthians eleven twenty three. I mean, these are the things you guys we need as reminders. Of what the Lord has done. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, verse 24. Give thanks, broken, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Doesn't say broken, <laughs> which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We need reminders on a consistent basis. I know that our church does it uh, once a month. Uh, I Honestly, I wish my family, so I'm not going to put this on our church, I just wish my family would do communion more often. Me and my wife and our kids, we have the word of God, sanctifies us with truth. We have the Holy Spirit. We can't even see it, but we know that it produces fruit. And then we have the Lord's Supper, which can actually serve as a reminder of the sacrifice that he's done. And so all of a sudden, these things just parallel what we've been seeing in Numbers 17 and then even into 18. And then the last thing I just want to say, this is To me, I absolutely love it. Think think about the parallels, you guys. Here you have Aaron the high priest going and interceding. We, at the same time, you guys, we have an interceding Savior. We have a Savior that is always going on our behalf for us, just like Aaron the high priest. I think this is a cool picture. Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Hebrews 4 through 14 through 16, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he's gone through everything. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. Verse 15, we we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, no, no. But one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. And in verse 16, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Strangely enough, you have the Ten Commandments, you have the manna, you have the the rod that sprouts almonds and fruit. And in the New Testament, we have the Word, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Lord's Supper, and I actually believe we have an interceding Savior that is constantly going on our behalf. Why? So that we can go, and I'm just going to say this as a picture up here of the, the stick as well, so that we can go from being dead to becoming alive. It's an awesome process that I believe when we embrace will radically change us. And just to close all of this out, uh, Kevin, will you go to Romans 8, verse 11? It just says this. Look at this. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. We start from being dead and through the interceding Savior, by what He did on the cross, You and I have life. And all that just comes from a simple picture of a dead stick that now has fruit. All right, guys, lesson 83, number 17, and then 18, just so you know. Numbers 18 really just talks about provision for the priesthood and then gets into support for the priests and the Levites. And we'll continue our study tomorrow uh, with lesson 84. Thanks.